shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the bitter end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello, and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is William Thrasher. Hello, listeners of Earth and of Outworld. And this time we're talking about Mortal Kombat Annihilation, a 1997 movie. It's the sequel to Mortal Kombat that came out a mere two years before. Now, before we get started, I want to uh, say the theme song to Sequel Cast 2 is written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithac.com. You can also go to, um, we're part of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcast at battleshipretension.com. And last but certainly not least, you can listen to SequelCast 2 on Stitcher. Check it out. Go to stitcher.com and just look up SequelCast 2. Listen to us on Stitcher Part 2. I, I wonder when that old chestnut would come back. Um, yep. <laughs> Mortal Kombat Annihilation came out in 97, directed by John R. Leonetti. He was the director of photography on the first film. Produced again by Lawrence Kazanoff. Screenplay by Brent V. Friedman and Bryce Zabel. Based off a story by Lawrence Kazanoff, Joshua Wexler, and John Tobias. Based off a video game by Ed Boon and John Tobias. Released by Midway Games. Starring Robin Shu, Talisa Soto, Brian Thompson, Sandra Hess, Lynn Red Williams, Irina Panteva, and James Remar. Music again by George S. Clinton. Cinematography, Matthew F. Leonetti. I bet you that's related to the director. Um... <laughs> came out November 97. Weird time to release uh, this kind of a movie. Not a summer release, as you might expect, or a spring release. And uh, off a budget of $30 million, so this was uh, more expensive than the first film, believe it or not. Made, you wouldn't know that to look at it. No. Uh, made around $51 million worldwide. And um, we'll also talk about some aborted attempts to make Mortal Kombat 3. Included uh, what little is known about the latest uh, stab at doing a Mortal Kombat film. So Mortal Kombat Annihilation, I, I think I said last week I saw the, the first one in theaters like two or three times. And uh, the sequel I did not see in theaters because I was really busy acting in a school play. And also um, the reviews were just so terrible. And I felt I was a bit shocked to see that the sequel was coming so soon after the original. I was not shocked that the sequel came so soon after the original. Uh, I, however, was in the, the uh, opposite realm uh, as you... I saw this twice in the theater. The first time by yourself, or was it with friends? Uh, I actually, I think the first time was with my brother. The second time was with friends. Uh, I had recently. I, it was sort of just this wonderful sort of peak teenage time. I had my driver's license. I had money for the summer, and, and so it's like I can take myself to the movies. Hell yeah! So I was going to the movies constantly, especially if I could bring friends with me. So this just happened to be a movie that I saw twice. It should be noted, listeners, that um, in the late 90s, movies were a lot less expensive to go and see. Well, beyond that, movies were shorter. This movie is a, a blissful 93 minutes. Yeah, um, which is, that, that's good by my book. I think movies are a bit too long, and we'll talk more about what I'm talking about when we get into the What You're Watching segment. But let's uh, let's not beat around the combat bush <laughs> That's a bad. Let's transition. finish that bush. But, yes, we're gonna. Whether it's uh, 
a little off the top or, or whatnot. Uh, yeah. Or a full rip out of the spine. Speaking of which, this was the movie that ripped the spine out of the Mortal Kombat franchise. You mentioned that on the phone, Thrasher, and yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, let, let me give a broad overview of the plot. And, uh, such and as we'll, it is. Well, we'll get, yeah, such that it is. It, it does uh, pick up right where the last movie left off, but then changes its ending a bit. <laughs> but that being said, you know, at the end of the film, the, uh, the humans have won the, uh, you know, the 10th the Mortal Kombat tournament, averting uh, takeover by the, um, by the outworld. And uh, who comes out of nowhere but Shao Kahn, and not just Shao Kahn, but his uh, big bad gain of minions, including uh, Smoke and, uh, and Scorpion and Sindel and all these other ninjas and characters, crazy characters. And, um, it, you know, fights emerge. Uh, our heroes, who is, uh, despite being mainly the same characters, is almost a completely different cast. Uh, from the original, with the exception of Robin Shu as Liu Kang and Talisa Soto as Katana, are transported, they have to sort of run about back and forth between Earth and the Outworld, because the Outworld is uh, violating the rules of Mortal Kombat and invading Earth. And so there's a, a limited window, if, um, the, if I get this right, and correct me if I'm wrong, Thrasher, if the uh, Earthlings do not stop the uh, Outworld invasion in six days, the Outworld will... St- you know, a takeover of Earth will happen or something. Yes, it will. It will consume the Earth. They have they have six days to close the portals. But despite that time limit, it feels like there is no ticking clock in this movie. There is no sense of urgency. Even at the end, they make a reference like, "Well, that was a crazy week." But yeah, no, it, it, this could take place over the course of twenty four hours, and you wouldn't know the difference. Um, it, it, there's a lot of fighting, a lot of characters, and and at the end. Um, you know, we learn some secrets about the relations of characters to each other, and uh, the heroes win at the end. I should mention we have spoilers in this show, but I, I, <laughs> not that it matters for a movie as, as silly as this. Um, let's get into the the cast. Um, I, I do think sort of like my overall thoughts of the film after I first watched it on video um, back in the late 90s. Is it reminding me of the problem of the uh, the first live action Street Fighter movie? Really, they're trying to cram too many characters into one film. And, yeah, I'll give you that. And you know, it, it it's it's one thing if you're doing like an Oliver Stone political drama like JFK with two dozen characters, and you can have time to let a story breathe and and, and structure a story in such a way. But this year, you're just trying to cram in as many characters from the video game as possible, and it's um. God, it just it it doesn't it doesn't work. But that's not to say the movie is not enjoyable. Um, any thoughts? Any first Im- overall impressions? Well, right right off the bat, they kill off Johnny Cage. They do. Um, who's played by a different actor? Not that you'd know. He's in here for like two seconds. But let's let's go into the cast real quick. Uh, Robin Shu is Luke Kane. Um, it doesn't seem as central to this film. It's it is it is strange. Like every character feels tacked on as an afterthought in this movie, even though the first movie, even though you could say it's sort of an ensemble piece, was clearly Liu Kang. He was the main character, right? It was the movie was him um, avenging the death of, of his brother. And well, I mean, you have you have the tr- the trio of of Liu Kang, Sonya Blade, and Johnny Cage. They make a perfect uh, a perfect triad. 
But, I mean, he is definitely the, the heart of that team. He's, he's the driving force. And here he's kind of an afterthought. Um, the this, this story in Mortal Kombat Annihilation sloppily, you know, has a few different plots going on at once, uh, which is about three too many. Mm-hmm. Um, Talisa Soto is back as Katana. They give her more to do in this one. But well, they give her more to do in the beginning, then she gets captured and spends the rest of the movie in a cage. Yeah, she gets the Sonya Blade treatment for over for most of the film. Uh, what I'm referencing is in the first film, Sonya Blade was sort of captured at the end. and, and But in this, Katana is literally in a cage. Uh, I guess she knows why the caged Katana scenes... Uh, uh, uh. Oh, um, Maya Angelou. What would, you, what would she write about Mortal Kombat Annihilation? I don't know. Um, so, in other words, that's an impression you can't do. That's right. <laughs> okay. Listeners, you know how the sausage is made. Um, with, with more time to prepare, I could do one, but I need to... <laughs> I don't know if this is an off-the-cuff thing. Brian Thompson as Shao Kahn, uh, it's a terrible, terrible performance. I think physically he looks okay. Like, he, he's a muscle, uh, muscle-bound guy. It's not that he doesn't look strong. And it it is sort of like the opposite of of Shane Soon, the evil wizard in the first film, it was not like a, a muscle bound man or something, but more more of a trickster. And um, Shao Kahn, you know, is sort of more of the muscle. And uh, his for the dramatic, I hate to say arc, but you know they're they're trying to give his character quite a lot of time is spent with Shao Kahn. He has much more dialogue than Shane Soon ever had in the first film. Yes. And, and I kind of think that's that's to his his detriment. I, I feel like he should be like Darth Vader. He should never be out of his mask. He should only show up long enough to be terrifying and to kill somebody. But otherwise, you know, save him for the big fight at the end. Yeah, you know, or been like Darth Maul or... You're right. Even the Kraken in Pirates of the Caribbean, right? <laughs> shows up, is scary, and then goes under back in the ocean. Um, Sandra Hess's Sonya Blade, I think, is an improvement over... Uh, the original uh, Bridget Nielsen, I think. Well, she does. She does. No, that wasn't that wasn't Bridget Nielsen in the first film. I always get Wilson, Bridget Wilson. I think. I. Th- I mean, she. She does. She does a very good job. Although I. I will admit, I didn't notice it was a diff- that they had changed actresses. They look quite different. Hmm. Sandra Hess, I think, is for my money better looking. Hmm. And um, her character is less important in this one. And uh, we get Irina Panteva as Jade. Who is... This is... Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... Get this out of the way right now. So Jade... I had forgotten that she was in this movie. And when she shows up... Do you mind if we get out of sequence? No, go ahead. So when she shows up, Liu Kang has awoken from like a vision quest in the middle of the desert, but now it's snowing and he's freezing to death. And she shows up in rags, freezing to death and like tries to seduce him. But then he's like, no, my heart doesn't belong to you. And then they get into a fight. And then when he wins, she says, oh, well, you've passed the test. And then she joins him. And I had joked to my wife uh, as as she glared at me for making her watch this movie uh, that... It would be great if she kept betraying him and then saying it was a test when he called her on it. And wouldn't you know it, she betrays them again because she was a plant the whole time for some reason. And rather 
And rather than her being part of the final showdown, she's killed by Shao Kahn as a punishment. And as a result, in the final showdown, instead of her being part of it, there's a red guy we've never seen before that we don't care about. Uh, before we go and, and talk about the plot, I think in sequence, I just want to touch on two more cast members. Oh, yes. Uh, Lynn Red Williams as Jax Briggs. Uh, Jax was a character in the first film, but like sort of in the background. He's sort of on the mission that Sonya Blade has in the beginning where they're smacking people trying to find Kano. Yes, he's her partner uh, as a special agent, and he's he's called out by name. And it was a it was a more subtle way to get a Mortal Kombat character into the movie. Right. In fact, um, you know, if you hadn't known the game, you might not have remembered that character at all in the, the first film. And in this one, you know, he's clearly a comic relief. Um, he's flirtatious. There's a lot of toilet humor. It's the about as stereotypical as you could have a, a comedic black man in a movie like this in the '90s. I, I'm glad you brought that up because this this is the movie that like made me aware that token black characters were a thing. I mean, he's not allowed to be a real character. He just he's just there to be a black guy who takes up space, and it and it really sucks, and it really hit me hard because Jax was my favorite fighter in Mortal Kombat too. Right. Um. Also, you know, unfortunately, Christopher Lambert did not decide to reprise his role, and instead we get James Remar as Raiden, who might be the best-known member of this cast. He was the dad on Dexter, but he's done a lot of other things on uh, television. Oh, yeah, he was also on the new Battlestar Galactica. Was he? Was um... Yes, yes, he was. Which character? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember his name, but he was like a, a, like a civilian pilot and smuggler who ended up on the Galactica crew. Oh, okay. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that, but it looks like he did a two-episode stint on the new Battlestar Galactica. You're right. He's, um, but he's also in you know movies ranging from like Too Fast, Too Furious, to uh, X Men: First Class. Really, he had sort of a small part. Um, yeah, so he's he's been all over the place, done a lot of voiceover work, and um, it's popped up here and there. And he is uh, Raiden. Surprisingly, has a lot to do in this film. He. There, there's like enough material set up in this movie that you could get two to three movies out of it. He has one of the heftier plot lines throughout this movie, but even then, it's unsatisfying. I think he's a good actor, but he doesn't possess the weirdness of Chris, Christopher Lambert. Yeah, he he tries to lend everything this godly gravitas. It made me think of the uh, the spoof character from Mystery Men, which came out a few years before this film. Oh, the um, the Sphinx. The Sphinx, yeah. You know, everything that is a riddle and a lesson that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's like, to open the door, the door you must open. I mean, yeah, it, it's... <laughs> you must master your anger or else your anger will master you. Right. Everything's sort of like a, a cliche you, you'd see in one of those um, books of quotations you'd see on the toilet or something. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know why my mind went to the toilet, but we are talking about Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Hey! Uh. Uh, okay, so the beginning of this film, it sort of shits over the ending of the first film, which, to be fair, the first film didn't have a great ending. But the way well, the first... Our, yeah, go on. We got our final fight scene, and then it ends with them all kind of happy on Earth, but then the temple explodes, and Shao Kahn threatens to take their souls. And we kind of get that. I mean, they're back, they're all back at the temple, everybody's generally happy, but then the sky splits open, and Shao Kahn and a bunch of uh, motherfucking ninjas show up. Yeah, a metric shit ton of ninjas 
Not to mention, like, all his sidekicks. I mean, they don't waste any time in, in ramming a million characters down our throats. Shiva, the four-armed woman. Um, Mataro, the centaur dragon guy. Right. It's, it's just one of those things that... And um, I think part of the reason the budget in this movie was so high, it's not the actors, because the actors aren't especially... You know, it's, it's less of a well-known cast than the first film, and that's not saying much, to be honest. Um, but... Uh, there's a lot of CG here. This was at a time when CG was very expensive. You can do a lot more for a lot less money uh, nowadays, but but then the CG was prohibitively expensive. You see it in a lot of scenes. You, you do also get some practical effects in men in suits fighting. Um, this film has more action than the first one. Yeah, but very little of the action seems all that important to the story, and very little of it has any stakes. So you hinted, speaking of stakes, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm eating a porterhouse right now. It's delicious. Uh, Lucky bastard. Yep. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if you say I'm just kidding, why do I do that? That, that kills a Lying joke. bastard. Lying bastard. Hungry bastard, lying bastard. This has been our improv game, Lucky Bastard, Lying Bastard. <laughs> So, you mentioned Johnny Cage gets killed in the beginning, which I think is a nice surprise. That really shocked me when I saw this film. Because Johnny Cage was a big supporting character in the first one. And um, him and Sonya Blade seem to have a thing, and they really lean into that in this movie. Not that you see the relationship at all before Johnny Cage gets offed. Well, I mean, he's the first death in the film because, you know, uh, Shao Kahn fights Katana, and once again, Katana forgets she can fight. Uh... And when uh, Johnny goes to rescue her, uh, Shao Kahn captures him and snaps his neck. Right. And he nice protracted, Johnny! Yep, but he also, he gets a whip, right? He uses a whip and, or that's after, he takes a whip to capture Katana, right? Uh, no, no, Katana, oh, early on, yeah, but but he he doesn't, uh, uh, she gets captured later, for good later on. Mm-hmm. But oh god, that that whole opening though—they try to throw up so many weird like special effects on the sky. It doesn't. The compositing doesn't look good. But on a modern television, the compositing looks horrendous. Oh, I bet. Yeah, all the characters. All the characters look like they were cut out of a magazine and pasted onto a magic eye painting. Yeah, it's not just that too. I mean, you have. Um, I find the CG on Mataro who is sort of like the centaur man with horns, yeah. really ter- Like, that's a pretty bad compositing job. I, I do think um, one of, you know, one of the only bad guys in this film that's somewhat interesting is Musetta Vander as Sindel. She looks a mm. bit like a younger Angelina Jolie. She does kind of have that about her. You're the right. crazy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, she looks like she looks like an undead sorceress, if anybody's going to look like an undead sorceress. And she's having a lot of fun. I remember at the time I was reading a Starlog magazine and they were interviewing people about this movie. And she mentioned how, um, you know, she felt like it would be a big breakout role for her, uh, which it wasn't. But she um, had played the part of the, uh, been a stunt woman a lot in her career and played the part of the praying mantis monster from season one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. And you know what else she was in? She was in uh, 1994's Oblivion and its sequel uh, from 1996, Oblivion 2 Backlash. She played Lash. I don't know either of those. Are those, are those fun pictures? The, a- actually, they are. They're, oh, they're Full Moon Westerns. Entertainment. Say no more. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> George Takei, uh, uh, 
Isaac Hayes, the guy who played Lurch in the Adams Family movies, they're all in there. What a Julie Newmar is there. Unique cast. Yeah. It's, something, it's, something we yeah. might have to talk about in the future. Yeah, perhaps. And uh, you know, she's still working to this day. She was also in Mansquito. Oh, brother, where art thou? She was one of the sirens. How about that? Uh, yeah. So I mean, Wild Wild West. Yeah. I mean, so she's. she's She's very well cast. There is something there is something subtly un- otherworldly about her. Right, and she's also done a lot of um, television in her career, which, which is fine, and in movies, done a mixture of two, which is how most actors do it. And, uh, yeah, she is one of the best things about the film. Like, she uh, gives a very campy performance, but it, it works. Like, everything in this film is larger than life. She doesn't embarrass herself like um, Brian Thompson and Shao Kahn, who has this... Uh, intonation where it's like I am the bad guy like he's it, it sounds like a fake it sounds like he was dubbed I I don't I don't lay that at the feet of uh, Brian Thompson I think that comes down to the director I mean he's he's been he can act with subtlety and he can act with with bombast and I just don't think he's getting the right direction for this part um, you know in the the director, it should be noted, he did not direct a film for almost a decade after this, but lately he's uh, he's been a, a DP on a lot of films, and um, huh. and he's going to be, he directed the uh, the horror spinoff uh, Annabelle, about the killer mm. doll, sort of a prequel to The Conjuring, I guess, and uh, he's coming out with another uh, horror film, uh, Wish Upon, sometime in 2017. Mm. But he's been a DP in such films, you know, ranging from Mortal Kombat to The Mask with Jim Carrey to um, Death Sentence with uh, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. So he's, he's done a lot of different stuff. Cool. It's just this is directorial debut. It, um, it It's not as well directed as uh, the original film, I'll just say it. No, uh, and and in particular with with the fight scenes, there is too much cutting in the fight scenes. Everything just seems so artificial and so right. staged. And when a stunt double is used, they do nothing to hide the fact that you're looking at stunt doubles. I, th- I think the choreography is not bad. I don't think the choreography is the problem because um, you have some interesting moves in there, and and the fight scenes have a good pacing well, to them. But you're right; it's kind of like cut to Helen back. Where there's a lot of stunt doubles where you see in the back of people's heads. Well, another thing that, that holds back the fight scenes, there because there are so many characters in these movies, there are many fight scenes where you have multiple good guys versus multiple bad guys. And rather than having the good guys team up for whatever reason, in many fights, the good guys get separated and fight different groups of villains and there are multiple shots where there's somebody fighting in the foreground and somebody fighting in the background and it really creates a visual schism so that there's really nothing like you can't really focus on any one thing on screen in a way that hurts the choreography and you can also tell that they care less about the choreography of what's going on in the background well i don't mean to be a dick but i'm going to be a dick you know the proper this is the only way to shoot fight scenes, but a very effective way to shoot fight scenes is the way they did in Hong Kong movies, where you do a lot of longer shots, not as much close-ups, and you, you spend much longer time shooting the fight scenes than shooting the dialogue scenes in the movie. I mean, it, it should be as well choreographed as a ballet and executed with the flawless timing of a baggy pants comedian. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, Jack's might. My... 
looks like he could be wearing hammer pants in some scenes, but it yeah. So um, Johnny Cage gets killed. killed. There's a lot of screaming, a lot of griefing. Uh, I I do think it's it's interesting that this skeletal um, pillar kind of rises up out of where he dies. But it's not even shot like at a cool low Dutch tilt angle. Like it's just sort of shot straight on, which makes it look even faker. Yeah, it's 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 a bit flat, and I kind of and I kind of wish that was a recurring theme. I I wish we mm. saw more heroes die, and I wish that right. was their fate. Like I wish I wish the heroes would then end up on these pillars rising out of the ground. And what the hell? Why not make that part of how Outworld is taking over? Maybe they need to make like key sacrifices of certain people with the heart of a warrior or something. Something to give their actions more weight, and to not just have them waiting for a clock to kick. Well, right, or maybe then, you know, let's say if you killed off, you know, three out of the five million heroes in this movie, at, at the end, that you could have them come back to life as, like, zombie versions and have them fight, you know, have these former good guys fight the the original good guys. In one of the video games, they made Luke Kane possessed by the bad guys, and he was, like, an evil zombie Luke Kane or something. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some... be cool. Yeah, there's, there's, there's different things you could do here. Instead, you get this overstuffed plot where um raiden is sort of the basil exposition of uh, of the movie where he he mentions that you, you later learn there's this legend about um what katana has to meet has to reunite with her mother sindel the lady with the long hair that screams who who was dead during the first movie but she's been brought back to life in this movie to keep the portals open Right, Brad Pack's life is a bad guy. That would have been nice to see in a flashback or something, but no, we don't get to see that. Um, and so that's sort of the quest. They have to take her to be reunited, but also the bad guys are in the outworld, and there's some sort of portals. And besides, you can go uh, travel underground through this um, traveling sphere thing. Oh, that is. That looks like something movie's... out of American Gladiator. That's like this movie's giant spider. I feel like <laughs> the metal, the heavy metal hamster balls that ride through the center of the earth, that has to be an idea that some producer has been trying to get into a movie his entire career, and this is the movie where it got shoehorned in. It, it's not from the game, but that doesn't matter as much, because as we mentioned, you know, these early games done much of a storyline. At the time of this release of this one, 97, you had a Mortal Kombat 4 in the arcades, which was the first uh, 3D one, where you were... It had some returning characters from the other game, but you also fought some some gods. And the character of Chinook, who is... Chinook, maybe not Chinook, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, is a character in here as Shao Kahn's uh, father. Although I think canonically he is not related to Shao Kahn, but they, they, they do some very deliberate Star Wars knockoffs, Return of the Jedi knockoff stuff in this film. Hey, so those those hamster balls, you know, you know what they reminded me of, even at the time, those transport balls from the LucasArts game, The Dig. Oh yeah, sure, I can see that. Yeah, where they were these like crystal and metal spheres you would walk into, and they'd roll you to different through these subterranean tunnels to different parts of the alien complex. But they looked even better as pixelated. You know that pixelated graphic version from The Dig looks better than what's in this movie. Like it, yeah. There's, like, no sense of how cheap. you get into them or how you operate them. Well, and then the thing that blew my mind is you get sort of these um, gaps between tunnels that I guess are over the molten lava or whatever in the center of the Earth. And they're like, oh, you have to lean to the right. It's like, so this is a transport system designed to potentially kill, 
people using well, yeah, it. It's like, yeah, it's the interchange. Roll to the left. And, like, those holes, like, there's not a funnel that catches you. Those holes are small. Not just that. There, there's a part two... where she says, this is where you hold on to me. And it's supposed to be some sort of awkward sexual tension, except it's not shot in such a way that uh, you, you don't feel the chemistry between Liu Kang and Katana, even though they it... both were in the first film. And they tried to do some slight romance thing in the first one that didn't go they, anywhere they both seem embarrassed and there's nothing endearing about their embarrassment right you just feel embarrassed for them um so we mentioned a lot of different plot threads in the film in my mind you have three you have um Liu Kang goes off uh Liu Kang's quest for power quest for power you also have Sonya and Jax um fucking around until they happen to bump into Liu Kang. Yeah. And, and you have the bad guys. The bad guys scheming. Well, and you have Raiden's, Raiden's quest to find out why the rules of Mortal Kombat are violated. How could I forget? So where do we begin? Which unspools is a grand conspiracy. That may have been fake from the beginning. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so complicated. Well, yeah, well, let's, let's talk about, about Sonya, Sonya and Jax. The one thing that I really do like about so- Sony and Jax, they don't play off of each other as well as they did in the first film, but in in their uh, their first fight, when all the robot ninjas show up in the lab where Jax has been upgraded to have his cybernetic arms, I do like how they worked in Sonya's kiss of death finishing move. That was cute, where she kisses and it goes directly towards the screen and then they catch on fire, one of her fatalities. Yeah, where, where she- yeah, where she finds, because they're in a lab, and, like, one of the robots is standing in a steam vent, and she finds some powder. I guess, I guess it's it's powdered potassium, which does react violently to water, so she blows it at him. And it's like, that's a fun, clever way to, to make an over-the-top thing from the game into something that can function in the movie. So I will applaud uh, the makers of the film for that. But so so much of their plotline is just wandering around and then like the first the first real fight scene they that we get after they escape from the lab a pink ninja shows up and it's just her and so it's the pink ninja and sonya blade wrestling in the mud i quite like that really um that's melina not that they say her name but it's um and the weird thing is they don't do the gag from the game where her gimmick is she pulls away the the covering of her face and reveals she has a monster mouth with sharp teeth. Yeah, that would have been that would have been something that, cool. That's a big but... that's a big thing with her character that makes her a little bit more than a palette swap of a katana. Yeah, they but they they don't have. I I guess the 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 thing is I guess the mud wrestling is supposed to be titillating, but it's just not shot well enough to be like. There's nothing fun or playful about it. It's just another fight scene that goes on too long, and the, the characters get messy, and it is, it it is kind of it is kind of on the nose. And I guess I guess they, you know, it, having since we live in a, a world and in a timeline where we have nearly unlimited access to pornography, I have less and less patience for titillating scenes in movies now. Because if I want to see something like that, I'll just straight up watch pornography. It's literally at your fingertips wherever you go. Yeah, among other smartphone, things, right? Right. So, um, you're right. It it's uh, I just liked how um, naked in its ambition the mud wrestling scene was. Like you knew it was stupid, and it just kind of went with it. And nobody, 
really ironically comments on it until afterwards Jax has a pretty lame joke. You look good in mud, Sonya. Mm. And she rolls her eyes. And it's, I, I just groaned at that line of dialogue. But I, it, you're... It, it upsets me. They're supposed, they're supposed to be partners. They fought side by side so many times. Why doesn't Jack help her? You get the feeling that Jax just wants to sleep with Sonya. But that's not reciprocated. And he does nothing to um, try to be more appealing to her. He's just kind of... He complains... The whole time. I mean, the the line of dialogue Jax had when they're screwing around, going from place to place, that blew my mind. It was an ADR line of a wide shot right before the mud fight, where it's like, "I really got a poop." I, where's the toilet paper around here? Oh yeah, someone was trying to do punch up. If this movie had a better sense of camp, I think it would be a lot more watchable. Right, and it's camp is so difficult because if you do too much it sticks out like a sore thumb but um i looked at uh, i think of brian thompson's performance of shao khan and it makes me think that nicholas cage would have been better in that part and that, <laughs> that he could have done the same sort of theatrical yelling performance but added just the right amount of weird his little like spin on it to make it memorable oh so uh, you you've heard like the idea that a sequel is supposed to give you the same thing you got in the previous film but bigger Oh, yes. Well, so this movie tries to do that by bringing back Scorpion and Sub-Zero, who died in the first movie. Only we get the ham-fisted explanation that the Sub-Zero we're watching is is the younger brother of the dead Sub-Zero, who I guess is not loyal to Shao Kahn. And Scorpion, there's no explanation for Scorpion, although now he has two monster hand tentacles. Scorpion a is, has, is a fan scene. favorite character. No, it's a dumb fight scene. It, you, I mean, yeah. uh, when Sub-Zero flies in like Superman to freeze, oh, one of the robots, right? Uh, yes, yes, he freezes one of the robots. And then Luke Kane kicks the rocket thing like further into his chest and he explodes, or he tips over and explodes. There is some shameful wire work in that scene. There is, and you think, oh, Sub-Zero is going to help him through the journey. Nope, he just kind of flops for the one scene. and He, uh, he vanishes. And, and the thing vanishes. is, you, with Sindel, you've established that dead people can be brought back to life. So why not, if you want to have those characters, why not have Liu Kang resurrect them to lead his ninja army? What's strange is Liu Kang thinks Sub-Zero is the old Sub-Zero, despite the fact that his outfit is completely different. And he has a big old scar. <laughs> yeah, and he has a scar. I, it should be noted... To be fair, not to give this film too much credit, in the third Mortal Kombat game, Sub-Zero did not have a mask, does not have the ninja mask on his head. And that, he has that's scar. true, the character design evolved. Right. Um, whether that character is the brother of the original, I, I don't remember and I don't really care. Um, Sub-Zero, though, uh, Liu Kane and um, Katana are, are wandering around, and Scorpion comes out and steals Katana... <laughs> And goes through a portal as he yells out, suckers. You, you know, all that fight scene needed was a still image of one of the game's designers to lean into frame and go, toasty! Toasty! Yeah, that would have been good. That would have been a... That <laughs> made me laugh, which does, this film doesn't do enough. I think you're right. Humor is one thing... Missing that even, I, I think of Chris, Christopher Lambert's rating in the first film, uh, has some humor, even if he laughs at his bad jokes. 
humans, they're so irresponsible. Ha ha ha. Or whatever. I mean, it's... <clears throat> uh, I don't think so. Yeah, that's... Yeah, whatever weird thing he was doing seemed to have worked. Um, you hinted at there's this sort of... Uh, as far as characters go, Raiden has to make some pretty big choices as a character. It's too bad we don't really care about Raiden, but he uh, gets a lot of screen time in this picture. Yeah, he, he goes to seek out the Elder Gods to find out why the laws of Mortal Kombat have been violated. And... The gods don't seem to care all that much. Although, delightfully, the gods are often shown just as a still flame or a plop of water, like, <laughs> suspended. I, I enjoyed that. Like, I thought, well, that's fine. You get to see them in their human forms briefly at the end. Yeah. So, so yeah, the only ones that are represented are, are water, fire, and air. We never see an earth god, uh, for whatever reason. Um, of course, maybe that was Golru, because maybe that's what the subterranean realms mean. Um... But yeah, and then and then you know they they make they make uh, Raiden mortal for some reason, and right? It's just, it, like the law lo the loss of his godhood barely does anything because like he he only uses a handful of lightning powers in the beginning, so when he doesn't get to use them anymore, it doesn't really impact the character. What about his hairstyle changing as a result of being mortal? He looks better with the haircut, and, and yet it is weird that he changes hair and costumes when he becomes mortal. Because Raiden's white flowing locks are a big thing of the character. And it's like you take away his signature look for half the movie, and it, it comes off as, I would like to think it was a demand of James Remar that he not have the wig the whole film. but <laughs> Maybe that's, so, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's completely coming out of my ass. But like well, when you see him when he's younger... It's like, I almost have to respect the line of dialogue from Sonya. Like, Raiden got hot. Or maybe the stuntman refused to wear a wig. Could be. It certainly gets sweaty wearing a wig, not to mention the long hair getting your eyes <laughs> as you're doing the, the fight moves. And, and Raiden does fight more in this film than in uh, the first one. So, so Liu Kang's vision quest. God, no. Yeah, this is bad. Um, so he goes to visit... Uh, Raiden tells him to, to visit Nightwolf, yes. but that Nightwolf will find you, you won't find him, although they give him a location to find him at, which is, yeah. <laughs> which is odd. He, he wanders the American West, and then at night gets attacked by a CGI wolf. An especially bad CGI wolf. I mean, in 97, November 97, I'm going to look something up. Well, it's quite a few years after Jurassic Park. And a so few years again, after Toy Story, okay, I stand corrected. But yeah, no, th this is a bad CG wolf. And by 97, I will say they did not get, like, CG fur down right. Still, um, it just looks shitty. You can't even tell that it's a wolf. And then when he turns back into human, he says, like, what did you think of my animality? Like, Pretty how would the audience... Right? <laughs> yeah, how would the audience know what that means? If you play the well, video game... You know, by the time of Mortal Kombat 2, I think, right? When they do finish him, at the end of a match, animality was a special kind of fatality where you turn into an animal and chop off the other guy's head or, or whatever. Or yes. eat him or, or knock him off the screen. It was, frankly, pretty silly in those games, but it seemed sort of... I don't know. I found animalities in the game to be kind of corny. I like the idea of friendship. I thought it was a lot more satirical. Well, friendship was more creative, more creative, that too. Right. And babyalities. 
Uh, oh, I forgot those babalities, yeah. <laughs> Which don't show up in this. I kind of wish it would. I mean, I don't have an ending. a spell that deages somebody or something. Just at the end, it just ends with them all being babies, and then it zooms out, and it's like Shao Kahn's evil plan. Like, ha ha ha. <laughs> I will raise them to be evil. Mortal babies. <laughs> but, yeah, so, sure. so all, most of the characters um, are in a are in sort of like they're they're taking these these fantastic costumes that exist within uh the mortal kombat video game and for the most part they are trying to ground them a little bit except for except for nightwolf nightwolf is just flat out wearing this over-the-top village people outfit which is how he looked in the game it's, um, it's just this over-the-top, like, denim Native American look with these yeah. three giant feathers on either side of his head that I, I don't will belong give, to any You know, animal. I will give them credit. They cast a Native American in the role. Um, That's Gary, true. That Gary Paul Davis, happen. better known by... This is going off Wikipedia. Better known by his stage name of Lightfoot, is a Native American rapper, actor, and founder of the Red Vinyl record label. Hmm. He also portrayed Little Bear in The Indian in the Cupboard. Oh, cool. Which was a... Childhood uh, classic. I, I read all those books as a kid. Never saw the movie. And Darth Vader enough. shows up in the movie. Who does? Darth Vader. Oh, I, th- I remember that from the commercials. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, so back to the Vision Quest. Uh, it's not trippy enough. First off. Yeah, it should be much crazier. And, and even then, you know, he's told you have to fight yourself in the dream world. But he doesn't. Like, how awesome would that have been to see Liu Kang fight Liu Kang? And they could have even done the palette swap like they do in the video games when two fighter, when two players choose the same fighter. But no, we just get some snippets of, of scenes from the first movie. Uh, a little bit of, of Katana taunting him, you failed me. Or even, like you know, it, it shows eyes. the clip of Shane Soon killing his brother. What if he would have fought Shane Soong, right? That's another way to do it. Bring yeah, like back. some, you know, he, his greatest he's enemy, the, the shadow self of, yeah. Meet in the spirit world. Why, why not? That could have been done. I think you could have got that actor back for a cameo. Would have been fun. It's, it's a tremendous lost opportunity. It is. Also, I mean, you, they sort of hint at everyone has their own animality, but we only see three characters in the film with an animality. Um, yep. And Night, Night Wolf, uh, Liu Kang, and Shao Kahn. I got Shao Kahn, unfortunately. Yeah, man, that's bad. We'll get to uh, that. We'll get to that. So, and, and, and you mentioned the scene with Jade earlier. Um, I think that yeah, she that almost acts after. as like the siren from Greek myth, it, uh, <laughs> trying to seduce the hero. Um, her twist was not unexpected, but it just felt like a twist for the sake of a plot twist. Yeah, yeah, and like her, her joining them doesn't seem to affect anything. I, I was amused at Sonya Blade, like going like, "Who's this chick? Oh, you're with this girl now." Like, I, I found that amusing. And then, then you got you know Jax, you got a great pair of legs for kicking. I mean, and like, like oh. <laughs> that's a line that I could see working. But you got to be much more smooth. But instead, they just Jax just becomes this. You got to be fool. more smooth, and the line has to be delivered faster. Oh, yep. Yeah, there should be some rat a tat tat. Exactly, like those nineteen thirties comedies. 
Like the original so, Mortal Kombat made in 1930. Um, so, so when Jax and Sonya are running through the, 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 the desert and the only indicator that it's merging with Outworld is a recycled statue from the first film, we get one of the worst bits of CGI in the film when this arbitrary monster bursts out of the statue. Right. And Jax and, fights and it with his rope. And they don't even defeat it. Jax, Jax pounds it, it in the, the ass with his robot arms. And then it just it just slithers into its hole, and that's it. Now, do you think that's supposed to be Reptile or something? Because this is what I find confusing. The movie's logo shows the Mortal Kombat dragon shattered with a dragon skin underneath. I think that that dragon skin is a reference to, to Liu Kang's animality. I'm an idiot. You're absolutely right. I, when, when I saw that as a kid, and even until we just mentioned it just now, it made me think of the character Reptile who I really liked when I was younger. But it's so, it is so weird because like there, there are so many, there are, they try to cram so many Mortal Kombat characters into it to then make up a monster when you could have just had some crazy character show up for that scene. But then the fact that that monster comes back because after Jade's treachery is revealed and she escapes and goes back to report to Shao Kahn, Shao Kahn summons one of those things out of the wall and it eats her. Right, and both times it looks like shit. It, I, I think part of it, you can say, because of when it was made, you could have CG characters in film. Certainly there was, like, a New Line Cinema did Spawn. But to get the lighting uh, done correctly to make it mesh with um, live-action characters was really difficult to do, especially in a limited budget. Um, well, e- even beyond that... Uh, in an attempt to give it some character, they commit the ultimate sin in monster attacks. Uh, the monster eats someone and then immediately burps, burps. thus undercutting yeah. the horror of what should be a horrific moment. Or he eats Jade, is that right? Yeah, the, the monster eats Jade. Monster eats Jade, and then after the monster burps, Shao Kahn smiles, which is a button we didn't need on that gag. Yeah, can I, can I just say, I have never liked that. I have never liked it when a monster eats something and immediately burps. That was the first thing I ever got sick of seeing in movies, and I think I was six years old at the time. And George Lucas liked it so much, he threw it into the special edition of Return of the Jedi. Um, there's a burping gag as well in The Phantom Menace. Oh gosh, I think you're right. And a, a joke about people stepping in shit, but... Uh, speaking of shit, I believe Mortal that was Kombat Bantha Poodoo. Annihilation. You're right, Bantha Poodoo, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's the fourth plot that we're going to touch on before getting to the end of this film. Oh! That is sort of the, the Return of the Jedi ripoff part I was hinting at earlier, which you get to learn about daddy issues between uh, Shao Kahn, his father, Chinook, and uh, Raiden, as we turn out at the end. They're all yeah, related. Tr- yeah, oh. turns out that Chinook, uh, or Shine, I think it might be pronounced Shinock, but... They only say uh, his name once in the film. Yeah, I, like he's, it turns, yeah, it turns out he is an elder god, and he is Raiden's father and Shao Kahn's father, so I guess that makes Shao Kahn a god or a demigod or something? Sure. And he's the one who's been keeping the portals open, because as we find out in the scene where they capture Sindel and try to use Katana's love to reawaken the goodness inside of her, turns out that legend was completely made up. Again, another twist for the sake of being a twist. Why? Well, like, yeah, why, yeah, why make that up? Was it just to keep them busy? 
it makes you, it makes the movie feel like a waste of time at that point if you don't feel that already when they reveal that in the film. Yeah. Oh, this is this is the thing. When that reveal happens, when Sindel proves that she's one hundred percent evil and starts killing everybody, so this is a movie where people have ridden lightning, traveled in metal balls under the ground, leapt through portals, exited scenes by being devoured by monsters. Mm-hmm. So when Jade's betrayal is realized, what? How does she escape? While everyone is distracted, gawking at Sindel, she just tiptoes away in the background. Right, it's and uh, bloop, I'm bloop, glad bloop. you mentioned Sindel. We'll, we'll get back to Shao Kahn in a moment, but earlier they try to have this scene where, oh, it's uh, it's been building to Katana reuniting with Sindel, and Sindel acts like, oh, she's human again, and she's okay, and how much she misses her daughter. And then she's like, oh, just kidding. But because we had no idea of their relationship before, like, it's, it doesn't, um, the scene doesn't move you or pay off as, like, they clearly want it to. Yeah. And I yeah. get this is Mortal Kombat. It's not Shakespeare. But that being said, they try to do things to advance the characters in this film that the first one didn't. And it falls on its face uh, every time. The, the whole well, relationship it... between Shao Kahn and the Emperor makes Shao Kahn look like a... Uh, Look like a whiny bitch. Yeah, very, very petulant. But it's even worse than that because our heroes, uh, uh, Katana, uh, not, uh, yeah, Katana, um, Sonya, and Liu Kang, they've forgotten all of their character development from the first film. Right. Liu Kang was supposed to have worn the value of, of patience and has grown as a warrior. Instead, he's sort of. Um, Sonya's learned teamwork. Johnny's learned humility. It, right, and she spends the whole movie complaining at her partner Jacks instead of them oh, working yes. together. And as this film, as Raiden stresses several times, we are a family. And every time he said that, I could just hear Vin Diesel saying the same thing. Far and, more. Yeah. and hey, it took Fast and the Furious like five movies to figure that out, but Mortal Kombat did it in two. Mortal Kombat got there to the punch. Maybe if they would have saved We're Family to Mortal Kombat 4, the movie, they'd still, they'd still be making sequels to this day. Um, so yeah, the, the Emperor stuff is sloppy. The revelation at the end that Raiden is the um, is the brother of Shao Kahn, it's something they made up for the movie, as far as I know, and it it's dumb. It's absolutely... Not needed. That's just to do a Star Wars thing where everyone's related and that deepens the themes. But it just, they, they play it with such great import that I was just laughing my ass off. I watched most of this movie yeah. on my on the bus ride home from work today. and um, That's probably the best environment for it. I think so. It made the bus ride, I, I enjoyed myself. And uh, even on the tiny phone screen, you know, it, perhaps the special effects looked even better than on a big TV screen. Um but yeah, the, the revelation did nothing for me. What about you? It didn't... I guess they don't need to be related. I mean, you, you've already brought... You know, you've already brought in, uh, you know, Raiden's father, the, the Elder God. I, I, I think it would have been much more nuanced if the Elder God was allowing the... If Shinnok was allowing the rules of Mortal Kombat to be broken because he would, he would get something from from uh, Shao Kahn if he allowed Shao Kahn to break the rules and take over Earth. Uh, Shinnok does not have any motivation for what he's doing. He he doesn't. He um, 
you know, at some point, you know, towards the end, he talks up Shao Kahn, like how proud he is of his son, but then he, he tries to betray even him. And at the end, we get the literal, uh, even though we do get the fight, there's a bit of a deus ex machina where all the elder gods come back and, or, you know, basically send Shao Kahn to uh, the same place that Zod goes to in Superman 2. They put him in a cube and flip him No, off. no, they do that to Shinock. Sorry, Shinock. Yeah, because yeah, Shinock's been breaking. Shinock's been breaking the rules. Uh, so yeah, they they fold him up into a cube in one of the few effects that looks cool, if only because it's so bizarre. It is a strange effect, and um, but before that, you know, let's go back to the final fight. You had mentioned the final fight has several things going on at once. Uh, the one thing oh, I did like yeah. about it is you have this gigantic staircase, and it's this tiered tower with different people in each tower. And I'd like to think that's a direct reference to the video game, where in the arcade, as you're going from match to match, you're going higher up the tower. Yeah, I mean, that, that works. That, that works as a nice reference to the source material. Um, that being said, you also point out, rightfully so, that it's these matches sort of going on separately, but at the same time, it feels real disjointed, and it makes it tough to get invested in each fight. Like, what if they all would have helped each other as a family, right, if we're talking about themes in the movie, to fight the guy at the bottom and then get picked off one by one until it's just Liu Kang left at the end with Shao Kahn. That, that would have been nice. But the fi- the fights we get, so, so again, because Jade was unceremoniously killed, oh, and because Shiva was also unceremoniously killed when a, when a, when uh, Katana's cage just fucking fell on her. Uh, we have yes. Sonya fighting a red ninja that we've never seen before and do not give a damn about. He's he's uh, Ermac, only... which is short for Error Macro because he was a bug in the first game. Deep uh, cut. Yep. Yep. And then we have Jax fighting Jax fighting Mataro, and Mataro like just kind of whips him with his scorpion tail, which is something demon centaurs have in this game. But that fight frustrates me so much because Jax realizes he doesn't need cybernetics to be a tr- true warrior. They're just holding him back. He just needs to believe in himself. So what does he do? Oh, he just takes off his cybernetics. So he had to be strapped to a gurney and have surgery performed on him to get those arms, but he can just slide them off anytime he wants. Would you rather him no have ripped, effects. Would you rather have him rip them off and he just would have had stumps? No. I would I would rather he show that with the right tools and the right training you can accomplish anything. <laughs> I mean he's the big he's the badass cyborg fighter, so why not let him be the badass cyborg fighter? Because you have to further emasculate the black man in the film by taking off his <laughs> his metal enhancements and saying, No, you're you're an you're an African American, you cannot have superpowers like everyone else in the film. Yeah, it's it's so lame and lifeless, but the absolute lamest and absolute lifeless is Liu Kang versus Shao Kahn. Yeah, um, I, I will finally say... finally see his animality. Yeah, now, when they fight, um, you know, mano a mano, fisticuffs a fisticuffs, it is a bigger fight scene than we got between um, Shane Soon and Liu Kang in the first film. I will give it that. It, it goes for longer, and, and that way that's sort of more satisfying. Not that I care about either of these characters, really. But yeah, when it goes into animality mode, we're in the land of shitty CG. And, um, man, a, a CG dragon looks bad 
But then I, I, I would argue Shao Kahn's animality looks even worse. That that's CG Hydra made of meat. Yeah, it almost looks like they took yeah. the model for that sort of uh, demon from the sculpture we mentioned earlier and just added some more limbs to it. Yeah, and they give it this, like, because, like, the dragon, it's a terrifying roar. The hydra just has this chittering squeak that is not threatening at all. <laughs> I feel like they were trying to go for something that sounded like a Japanese kaiju, but it doesn't. It just sound, it sounds like a squirrel. It sounds like a dying squirrel. <laughs> That's just that. You expect the fight between the two of them to be sort of epic and be a big payoff, right? This is what the film is building towards. And it's, uh, they, they, they both get knocked off the edge. They just kind of wave at each other. Yeah, they wave at each other, get knocked off an edge, land on their back, turn back to human again. Because we can't afford to have the CG and, and I, fight for that long. So, so I looked at that fight, and my comment was, not since the Balrog scene in Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Mm. Liu Kang's art, wings are so lifeless and stiff and have so little weight... It's like it's this. It's like a bad puppet. How can we forget the several characters in the film that have tattoos that turn into a shitty-looking CG bat that vanishes because yeah, they're which is, temporary tattoos, which are in vogue in the nineties. Yeah, that it's it's, it's another p- part of the grand conspiracy is that only people from Raiden's bloodline have those tattoos because it allows them free and safe passage between the dimensions, and only an elder god can grant those tattoos. But if you're not in the bloodline, you can get those tattoos temporarily as a temporary pass between worlds. It's uh, it's an idea for it to work. It has to be introduced earlier, and there has to be a real like a real moment of revelation. Like it should come as a shock when people see that Raiden has that tattoo. In better news, I think the soundtrack to this film is actually decent. Oh, the soundtrack is amazing. I had it. It was phenomenal. Uh, it was also... Uh, this might have been the first uh, soundtrack that had anything on it from uh, KMFDM after they had broken up and then reunited as MDFMK. Also, you um, you know, the Immortals do another version of their theme for Mortal Kombat that has more of the characters' names from the film. Um, they don't yeah. use the techno music in this film as much as in the first one. Although on the... Uh, soundtrack album there's a lot of tracks uh fire from scooter was a big hit in europe um oh that's a good one you had you know megadeth romstein uh i I would say juno reactor um perhaps some better known bands i would say than the first one we have explosive well especially if you're into techno music uh this this soundtrack is so good uh if you like techno music and a lot of, and a lot of the music does show up in this movie, but it's not used particularly well, especially since there are some fight scenes where they cut between multiple songs, so you never really get a feel for any of the music. Right, the first film let the songs breathe, and um, this was an overall more exciting motion picture. Any last thing about Mortal Kombat Annihilation before we move on to what you're watching? Uh yes uh so the guy who played uh oh hell the guy who played uh the uh the centaur uh mataro do you know he was typecast as a centaur no i i didn't know that before he made this movie he had played a centaur in a japanese commercial all right i used i used to read uh i used to read uh i think it was 
uh, inquest uh, when when uh, this uh, movie was being made. So they had they had an I- an issue with a lot of info, of, or maybe it was it might have even been it might have even been a PC gamer, but they had a lot of they, they had a lot of articles about the making of this movie. And they had an interview with him. And apparently, like, that was, like, a thing. It's like, I've played two centaurs. How many people can say that? <laughs> wow. Yeah, look at that. I oh, mean, yeah. Huh. He did. And also, the other thing I don't like is that at the end of the movie, when they decide to settle the fate of the world in Mortal Kombat, which, how how shitty would that be if you were, if, if you were playing in, like, a Final Four-style elimination, you had fought your way up through all the brackets, and it was just you and another guy, but then it turned out that other guy had been cheating for the whole time, but then you still had to, still had to fight him in the match? No, he'd be disqualified and you'd win, and yet in this movie, they still have to fight Shao Kahn, and when they defeat him, as they inevitably do, all the damage in the movie is just undone. Oh, I forgot, it's at the end they make the announcement, right, where it's like, you have to fight in Mortal Kombat, and they time up the Elder God saying Mortal Kombat to the titular theme of the movie, Mortal yeah. Kombat, da 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 uh. And I, I... Yeah, and... Mm, go on. It's bad, and, and yeah, and it's, it's as if the whole movie didn't happen. And you just get that, that, that little thing about, oh, well, and Raiden's gonna take his father's place as an Elder God now, the end. Yeah, the ending's sort of an afterthought. Um, I neglected to mention uh, Mortal Kombat 2 character Baraka is in the film uh, very briefly in a crappy-looking mask. Yeah, it looks like a Don, an off-the-shelf Don Post Halloween mask. Yep, and they tossed him right in the fire. It's a And he does. Stupid, yeah, but they might as well not have had the character in there at all. Lucane fights there him, no... and I would have thought Lucane ah! fights him with one sword. Why don't give Lucane two swords, so he has two blades to fight against Baraka's two blade arms? Yeah. They, ah. There were no cool deaths in this movie, like in the first one. The only I mean, death the, I, I like was kiss... Johnny Cage getting killed because I found I was at I honestly am surprised by that every time. That was a death that meant something. Yes, not much, but something. All right, so uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Sequel yes or sequel no? Sequel no. I think... Just get the soundtrack. Great soundtrack. I, I say sequel yes. I think this movie is so bad that it's funny. And, uh, really? Since, yeah, right, yeah. If you're in the right mood, I was just giggling the whole time. And I, I think... Um, I don't know if they could ever get the rights for this. But since Mystery Science Theater 3000 is back on Netflix... If they did this movie, that would be delightful. I I I disagree, Gene. Well, we'll leave it to the most valuable people to decide, our listeners. <laughs> so, I said what you're watching, but I lied. Pitch a sequel is the next segment. <laughs> I have something in mind. Yeah. So we learned that the Sub-Zero in this film had a brother... Who I guess also went by the name Sub Zero. We don't know that. Maybe they and had a wicked scar. Had a wicked scar. Harvard Yard. Um, that was a terrible <coughs> accent. This would be called uh, Sub Zero Brothers, and it would be about them <laughs> as uh, teenagers. You know, you cast them younger. I always seem to pitch prequels instead of sequels, but there you go. And they will. It's about them fighting a. They have a best friend. That's a teenager who's actually, they're, they're actually triplets, right? There's 
they're twin not they're not just brothers they're twins and there's a triplet there's a third one <laughs> and the third one leaves and goes to the, the the dark side and becomes scorpion that's sort of like the pitch hmm so it's not a backdoor pitch for a snow brothers uh, movie then <laughs> it's not a backdoor pitch for snow brothers i am sad to say but you get um you know you'd have some scene where the the triplets, as it is in the beginning, they're all playing in the snow as little kids, and one of them throws a snowball at the other, and there is a spike. Uh, there's a, a sort of a stalactite of ice put on the edge of the snowball, and it hits one of the brothers in the face, and he starts to bleed, and that's how he gets that scar. In fact, huh. so it would be called Sub Zero, not just brothers, but Sub Zero triplets. With the subtitle, guess which one is Scorpion? <laughs> Sub-Zero cubed. Sub-Zero, but the E is a three. I, Sub-Zero ice cubed. Sure. Featuring Ice Cube doing the narration. Ice Cube and Ice-T <laughs> as sort of the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah, you and me, we're going to comment on the action. That's right. I can't imitate either of those. Um, what's your What's your Fitch a sequel? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with it. I'm gonna do uh more. I'm gonna do a crossover: Mortal Kombat three, Baby Geniuses three, because uh, that had a sequel. Um, where uh, Shao Kahn turns out Shao Kahn is is not dead. He's just furious that he was that he was uh, defeated. And he realizes he's been stripped of his power as Emperor of Outworld. So he can, and he can't kill them all one by one. The only way he can kill them is if he rips them of their power. So he learns a secret babyality move, and he babyalities all the Mortal Kombat heroes. And he puts them in an evil nursery because he wants to raise them fr- from from infants to be his evil army for the next time he tries to take over the multiverse. However, they're visited by Raiden, who takes the form of uh, a nanny. He can't undo the babality, but he can give them their memories back. So they all put on, they get their memories back and want revenge on Shao Kahn. So they all put on baby versions of their Mortal Kombat uh, outfits, fight their way out of bad, and as bad CGI babies with bad lip sync, fight their way out of the nursery dungeon, uh, cracking wise the whole time, uh, fight their way to Shao Kahn, and beat Shao Kahn to death with their, uh, with what the hell, with their dirty diapers, and by killing him, and they do kill him, they do adorable baby versions of all all their finishing moves on him all at once, which just dismembers him in a fountain of blood and, and, and gore. Uh, and that undoes the babyality, and they're all back to being adults, and they're happy that he's defeated once and for all. Is there a scene where one of the babies takes a, a dirty diaper, straps it on Shao Kahn's face, and then all the babies drop trowel, stick their butt underneath the, the sort of diaper opening, and give him a Dutch oven treatment? I bet that would happen. There would be a lot of there would be a lot of a uh, bodily function joke. But it sounds like he would he would bump up the rating to R. Is that right? Well, by the end, certainly. Okay. All right. So, bloody babies. Uh, <laughs> yes, but Mortal Kombat three, baby geniuses three. Before moving on to what you're watching, I I did a little bit of research, and um, you know, if Mortal Kombat Annihilation would have done better at the box office. They would have gone almost straight into production of a third one. Really? And uh, allegedly, uh, originally the, the plot for Mortal Kombat 3, the movie, would have been um, uh, taking the plot of the video game Mortal Kombat 4, where 
Chinook teams up with a sorcerer, Quan Chi, to uh, escape their imprisonment and try to take over the Earth once again or something like that. Um, that never happened because this movie, although it made money, it did not make over $100 million like the original. So, because of that, thank you, dogs. Um, because of that, uh, sort of different sequels were trying to be made. Uh, at one point, they were all set to film in New Orleans, and then Hurricane Katrina happened. What was, what part of the movie was going to be in New Orleans? I think they were going to use it because of the good tax rebates at the time, and just film it in the warehouses. Uh, um, maybe so. But, you know, that never happened. Um, multiple scripts were commissioned, one of which uh, was a Sub-Zero prequel, which sort of inspired my pitch a sequel segment. Um, well, he did get his own game. Yeah, Sub-Zero Mythologies that came out before this film, even. Um, so, with all that, uh, the latest news is um, James Wan, who directed the first Saw movie and was a producer on the first three Saw movies, uh, through his production company, is working on trying to bring Mortal Kombat back. Um, they might have a director lined up as of November of last year, but there's no word about casting... If they're still trying to work on a script, James Wan has said he wants to get the script right or not do it at all, which is admirable. I think in today's sort of climate where you, you've had movies like Deadpool that prove that rated R, um, you know, sort of genre movies can do well, you could make this new Mortal Kombat rated R. And as long as the budget is lean enough and uh, they're smart with the story, I think you could do a good job of it. Well, that, that Mortal Kombat teaser that came out a few years ago with Jerry Ryan, where they were setting it up as a as a fighting tournament for serial killers, was a very interesting concept. And yet, I don't know if I want to see Mortal Kombat brought down to Earth. Why not? Why why take the magic out of it and just make them all serial killers with gimmicks? Well, and the shame is the guy that did that, you know, um, it just ended up not happening. It, it was going to happen, and then they got new management, and it didn't happen. But out of that, we did get a, a few spinoffs. We got um, Mortal Kombat Legacy, which was a two seasons, if you will, of um, direct-to-video sort of Mortal Kombat short stories that were on YouTube, and then later got you know sort of ext- extended release in home video. You also had, as far as Mortal Kombat spinoffs, you uh, had the live-action series Mortal Kombat Conquest on TNT, which I recall not being terrible, but I remember very little about it. Hmm. And this was about uh, Kun Lao as the main character in that show. Did you ever see that one? No, I never did. And then you had a USA did a cartoon for one season, Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm, which turned it into G.I. Joe, basically. <laughs> Where they were flying around on their plane... Um, and I remember there was a direct-to-video CGI movie back when, the, around the time the first movie came out, that apparently was horrendous and all done with the worst kind of motion capture. I've never seen it, but yeah, I've heard about it. It was like thirty minutes long. Um, I think it came out before the first movie, but not not too long before. I believe you're right. Um, so let's move on to what you're watching, Thrasher. What you're watching. Well, I uh, 
In, in my quest to find newer and better bad movies, uh, I finally watched the Japanese science fiction film Warning from Space. It came out uh, in uh, 1956. It was one of several movies that came out to capitalize on the popularity uh, of, of Godzilla, you know, just put, putting monsters on screen. And I was surprised, and I just found this out. It's based on a novel by uh, Gentaro Nakajima. But if you've if you've ever seen just like footage of like Japanese monsters and there's a bunch of one-eyed starfish standing around, that's from this movie. It's it's not that exciting. Uh, it is it is kind of boring, uh, and yet. Uh, Unlike a lot of Japanese movies from this period that were hastily translated uh, into English, they don't do anything to cut around or hide the fact that this is a Japanese movie. There's a lot of, like, everyday Japanese life of the period that gets represented that you would see, that, that you would sort of see cut out in movies like Godzilla in favor of more insert shots of, uh, of uh, Eric, was it uh, Michael Burr? Ray- Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr, Raymond Burr. Uh, it should be noted that, um, according to a biography, this was Stanley Kubrick enjoyed this movie. I I could see that. I mean, it has like, it has kind of a slow brooding tone. Uh, the and the whole the whole premise is that uh, a disaster is going to befall the planet Earth, and some starfish shaped aliens. Uh, have discovered that, and so they decide that they should send Earth a warning. So they send agents to Earth to try to contact scientists to warn them about this peril that's coming. But because they're hideous starfish creatures, everyone is terrified of them. Uh, So they can never get their message across, and it puts the Earth in a panic. So they decide the best thing they can do is to kind of find a human everybody trusts and shapeshift one of their own people into that human to, to get the message. So one of the aliens disguises themselves as this uh, Japanese pop star uh, and uses the presumed celebrity status to get in contact with one of Japan's leading scientists. Uh, and turns out the Doom is like a, a rogue sun that's going to drift through our solar system, uh, which it does, and... At that point, the movie gets very, very brutal. We see huge sections of Japan just baked by the intense heat. We see animals go into hiding. We see birds fall from the sky and die, panting for breath on the ground. We see children suffering. Uh, and Earth attempts to like use nuclear weapons to divert the planetoid's course. Doesn't work. So in the last minute, the aliens use their own machine, which uh, destroys the planet, which makes you wonder... If you can do that, why not do that in the beginning before the uh, before the disaster happens? But it does end on a hopeful note because the rogue planet is destroyed, uh, Earth is spared total destruction, uh, everyone you know leaves their shelters to start a brand new day, and more or less peaceful relationship now exists between uh, the human beings and the starfish aliens. So, is this a? Um... Did you think it was worth it? For someone like me, yeah. Uh, th- this is this is just the kind of weird little movie that I that I just uh, relish in. But if you're not if you're not a, a patient viewer of films, if you're not into films that are unapologetically Japanese, uh, and if you have a problem with really basic special effects, it's not for you. I was looking at some pictures of it. I have to say, the star there's something pleasing about the starfish alien design. Well, it's so delightfully simple. Mm-hmm. It is uncomplicated. Uh, I sort of saw something on the polar opposite end. Speaking of complicated and over lawn, 
It, it took me four yeah. tries, but I got all the way through Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Oh, you, oh. did you see this one? Yes, yes, okay. I did. Let's talk about this uh, quickly, and we're going to have spoilers. If you haven't seen the film, like skip ahead. Oh, let's say five minutes. So I'll do my best. This film crams a lot into its running time. We get Batman's origin. We get the, the introduction of Batman to the current version of the DC universe in film. Um, you have Superman's story. You have Batman and Superman fighting. Not just that, but we get shades of the Death of Superman storyline with Doomsday in there. Although in a completely different form, apart from some spikes he gets later on in the fight. As the comic. Um, I didn't hate this movie. I didn't like it either, though. I thought it was okay. I, I think it's more of a Superman film than a Batman film. Um... I thought Jeremy Irons as Alfred uh, had some funny lines. He is the only good thing in this movie. I think... Uh, and even he is struggling. Gal Gadot as uh, Wonder Woman I thought was, was good. Didn't have too much to do, but it she seems to have fun in the, the fight scene stuff. Yeah. And... Um, I like that we get to see a bit of Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. You didn't get that at all in the Man of Steel film. Well, because he didn't get the job until right before the credits. That's right. Um, Jesse Eisenberg, I thought, was was terrible. It reminded me of Jim Carrey's performance as the Riddler in Batman, which worked because of how camp that all of that whole film was. But this, where everyone's trying to be serious, he's trying to be funny and weird and disturbing, and it doesn't really work. Um, there's not being a, a huge comic book yeah I, i've read stuff here and there i was baffled by this sort of hallucinatory sequence where batman is on a military base fighting what looks like insects or bats or something oh yes the parademons yeah they don't even say what they are you don't you also get a version of flash coming from the future saying oh i've come too soon which doesn't mean anything um oh. which which happens in a dream sequence that too yeah so you don't know if it's real or not. Jeez. Um, yeah, I, I was well, not... Anyway, so we have a few minutes left before the five-minute thing runs out. Um, what, what did you think, Rasher? Well, as as faithful viewers uh, of the uh, and, and listeners of the first sequel cast will remember, uh, I did write a review for, for Man of Steel, and in that review, I used the phrase giant flared cockhead 16 times. Um, my review for Batman v Superman uh, is not much more positive. Um, I guess I guess if I have to boil my feelings down into one super dense singularity, um, if you're gonna make a movie with Batman and Superman in it, and the first person who we see fly under their own power is a young Bruce Wayne, you can get the fuck out of Hollywood. <laughs> I think as a surreal image, that was kind of interesting, but I didn't think about it that way when, um, and I, I did sort of appreciate how they tied in Bruce Wayne to events that happen in the Man of Steel. I thought that was a cute way to connect them, but I don't, it, so, so I, his, so Bruce Wayne's employees live in such terror of billionaire Bruce Wayne that they won't leave their office when it's in the middle of a war zone. 
Nope. They gotta wait for him to give them the okay. I like the imagery of the guy spray painting the Superman statue. Um, I, I I thought the the method to introduce me- members of the Justice League through clicking icons on a computer screen was as, as ham fist as you could get. It's it's all the thrills of watching your friend check their email. <laughs> yeah, at an even lower resolution. Like the, the and, oh, it's really obfuscated. Like watch and, and watch also, Aquaman wiggle a webcam. Like it's. <laughs> well, also the other thing is all all the videos have icons of the heroes' logos. iconic symbols. Yes. So did Luth- did Lex Luthor have his graphic design department whip those logos up? He did, and then later he'll have LexCore charge the superheroes for using logos he invented on their costumes. <laughs> He's getting a kickback. Also, Lex Luthor's plan. Okay, so he fears the unrestrained power of Superman, so he makes a monster capable of, of destroying Superman. So how was he going to contain that monster's uncontainable power? What's phase two after that monster kills Superman? Profit? <laughs> yeah! Yeah, it's... Uh, it, I think I liked Man of Steel more. I I, I honestly say that. Um, and I say that not loving either movie. I I hated Man of Steel less. Okay, <laughs> that'll be my there you go. my comment. So um, next time on Sequel Cast Two, we'll be looking at the TV movie. We're sort of filling in the gaps with uh, stuff we discussed in the original Sequel Cast series, stuff that had gotten follow ups. This time we're looking at uh, next week. We'll look at Rocky Horror Picture Show. Let's do the Time Warp again, the TV uh, remake from 2016. And then after that, what do you want to do? Well, uh, I was I was looking at I was looking over some options of what we had readily available, and since this is the summer of James Gunn, why don't we do the live action Scooby Doo duology? That sounds good to me. I was thinking that as well. So cool. After we do Rocky for Picture Show, then and new weeks after that will be. Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed? Or did it say Scooby-Doo 2? Uh, I think it was Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. Scooby-Doo? Okay. Very good. <laughs> so, um... I'm, sh- that, that's, I'm shocked that that wasn't the title. That's a lot of restraint on their part. Almost as much restraint as when the marketing team for the Yogi Bear movie used the tagline, Good Things Come in Bears. Oh, you, 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 one of my favorite things is hearing T.J. Miller, who was in that movie, quote that tagline. I saw T.J. Miller do stand-up about a year ago, and several times he referred to himself as Yogi Bear 3D's T.J. Miller. So. <laughs> oh, Very good. You know, I sometimes refer to myself as Time's 2008 Person of the Year. That also works. Um Follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Follow the show on Twitter at SequelCast2. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, sign up with our Facebook page. Just search SequelCast2 on Facebook. Like us on that. And uh, where can people find you on Twitter, Thrasher? They can find me at Internet Mayor. All right, so for SequelCast2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying, Fire! Yeah, that's a good track. I thought it might be fun to cut that track into the end, too.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.